Please be seated. I hope each I hope each of you sing that song with real meaning. Uh, sing your sing my soul bottom of our hearts, from our soul of our being, to be able to say those things. If you don't feel like you can do that because you're not a believer or because you're just out of touch with God these days, please come see me afterwards or one of the pastors in the church so that you can feel the benefit of singing praise to God from your soul. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for what you have done for us, that we might have an abundant life, we might have you as our Savior to prevent us from the ultimate destruction of our life through sinning and doing the kinds of things that your Son came to, to pay the penalty for. We thank you that uh, those are giving our music to us, are filling us with the spirit of worship to you today. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, those of you who are relatively new to Trinity, or maybe our guests today, my name is Bill. I'm one of the elders here. Good morning. Pastor Logan has uh, been off to a college to graduate one of his daughters, Allie, uh, from nursing school. A really important and necessary profession these days as we've gone through things like the pandemic. And uh, it's noble of her. She's been pinned and graduated and ready to move on to actually performing the duties of the nurse. So <clears throat> I hope you'll excuse Logan for taking care of family duties, which is super important. I'm going to review with you today what Logan has been covering over the last several weeks. And then I'm going to talk about the subject today, which is the next couple of verses in the book of Matthew in chapter 7. It's not necessarily a topic that I thought I would enjoy teaching, but since it's next in the sequence, God often gives us things to do that we don't feel totally comfortable with. So I'm going to give that an attempt. And then hopefully I'll give you some application at the end that you can take home and use in your life as you go forward. So here's the backdrop. Matthew, starting back in about chapter 5, Jesus was healing people. He had large crowds of people. He was healing them and going through teaching or whatever else he was doing at the time. And I'm going to guess he was exhausted with all that energy expended. So he went up to a mountain, which our standard probably was a hill there in Jerusalem, and delivered a sermon that we call Sermon on the Mount, which is really probably several lessons, and I'm going to try to review that with you. So he went up on this mount, and he sat down with his disciples. So picture that in your mind, that this is not like I'm doing today, is making a presentation to an audience. It's a very personal kind of thing. He's sitting there with his disciples, and he wants to teach them some things. He starts out with the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes 
we've labeled Beatitudes are blessings or happy are people who mourn, who are meek, who are pure, who are peacemakers, and maybe or are being persecuted. Certainly they were at that time. I'd like for you to help me in joining in a prayer that's written here in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. You can quickly look that up, but I think you all know what it is. And I'd like you to repeat it with me because it's pertinent to what Jesus is trying to do. Matthew 6, verses 9 to 10. Our Father, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead them not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. The remainder of that that you have learned is not in the original text, uh, so I've leave, left that out. So Jesus is talking about She's teaching this prayer so that the disciples and those around us, around them, know that he wants the kingdom here on earth to look like what the kingdom looks like in heaven. We all have visions of what heaven looks like, what we're going to be like. It's going to be a big river full of lots of fish, and you're going to be able to catch them every third cast. We have this beautiful picture that we paint. What Jesus is trying to teach the disciples is that this kingdom, okay, theologically we talk about the kingdom now and the kingdom not yet. The kingdom now is here on earth. We are to be like it is in heaven. Tough task, difficult to do. But Jesus is trying to teach the disciples this is what people are like if they are true followers and how they should be. I've gotten to a position where my fingers don't always do what I want them to do. Okay. Next, he says you're to be the salt, of the salt and light of the earth. So Pastor Logan went through that with you. What does it mean to be salt? What does it mean to be light? And then Jesus says the law is not abolished, Okay, this doesn't, so this doesn't necessarily mean that we are all free from the law, but that Jesus came to fulfill the law, that we are no longer under the penalty of sin because of what he did on the cross. Then he goes through some don'ts to point out about the law. He says, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not divorce, take an oath, retaliate, but, from a positive standpoint, love. So there are things that we should not do. He's not abolishing those things. He's come to fulfill them. Then starting in chapter 6, he says, when you give, when you pray, when you fast, or if you have wealth, be humble. Do it privately. Don't do it for show. So this is something we can do, should do, or ought to do, but we ought to do it without fanfare, without looking at it from our personal gain. 
And we're going to get back to that in a little while when we, when we talk about false teachers. Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't be anxious. How many of you worried about what you were going to do today? Were you going to burn the lunch? Were you going to whatever? We all have anxiety about something. So point one on your little outline, if you're using that in your worship folder, Jesus told us, excuse me, Jesus told us how to be or how to live. Point two, Jesus told the disciples how to interact with others and with God. In chapter seven, ask and it will be given to you. So that's a communication with God. You're going to ask. And Logan covered that. I'm not going to try to explain that. That's That's an interesting subject. And treat others the way you want to be treated. So that Jesus is telling them that this is the way you should interact with others. Then Jesus told them to choose a gate to open, point three on the outline. Enter through the narrow gate. The gate is not only narrow, but provides the satisfaction of having the fruit of the Spirit and the happiness described in the Beatitudes if you do choose that gate. What is the other The other gate is permissiveness, open to whatever, however you feel today is the way you're going to be. He wants you to be, not just do, but to be having the characteristics of a person who is mentioned in Beatitudes, people who mourn. They feel sorry for others, people who don't have pride. So Jesus was teaching the people not just how to act or behave, but how to be, if they are a believer in his kingdom now. So his kingdom here on earth, they have specific desires that we be like. He's continuing discussion about living in his kingdom prior to wrapping up this sermon or this time that he's got these disciples gathered And he's sitting and he's just looking at them. And guys, this is the way you ought to be. So what Jesus is now going to tell them is you got to watch out. Because someone's going to come along and tell you something different. That's the fourth point on that outline. Jesus is going to tell them There are people that are going to come along and tell you things that you shouldn't follow. Now, I want to give you a little diversion here. Okay, so this is wake-up time, change it. We're all taught different things as we're growing up. They might come from parents, might come from teachers, they might come from your friends. So I just took a little look on the Internet to find some things that I thought were Trivial, but interesting. I didn't want to go to politics because when you talk about false teachers and false leaders, it's very easy to find those in politics. I'm not going there. Okay, so some of you might find this kind of thing boring. You already know the facts or whatever. Okay, number one, you may have watched a bullfight or at least grown up having seen cartoons about a bullfight. 
waving a red object such as a flag or a cape in front of a bull enrages them and they will attack you. The old matador story. Okay. Yes, they will attack you. However, since bulls are partly colorblind, a yellow or other color will do the same thing. It doesn't have to be red. Because they can't see red. They actually are not colorblind, but they cannot see red. They can see yellow, green, blue, and violet. Okay. It's the motion, not the color. Okay. Number two. After eating, you should wait 30 to 60 minutes before swimming. Why is that? Because your digestive system requires blood, and if you got all the blood going to digest your food, you're not going to have it, you're not going to be able to swim. Wrong. Although it does need, your stomach does need blood to circulate through there to digest the food, there's plenty of blood to do both tasks at the same time, so you can still swim. Now, if your mother tells you don't swim, she may have other reasons, but it's not necessarily true. She ought to suggest that she look up information in a health guide. Okay, number three, and that'll be it for trivia. George Washington has wooden, had wooden teeth. How many of you knew that? Okay. Okay, you're going to guess that that's probably not correct. While it is true that George Washington had very poor teeth and struggled with that his entire life, his teeth were not made of wood. His dentures were made of ivory from elephants, of human and animal sources, cows or horses. Somehow that doesn't seem right. I'm chewing my lunch when I'm using cow's teeth. And lead or gold. So he never had wooden teeth, according to these sources. And if you want proof, you can go to the, see the only dentures remaining from George Washington in a museum in, at Mount Vernon. So there was a picture on the internet, the whole thing, so I believe that that's true. George Washington did not have wooden teeth. Okay, so why am I saying these things? I'm saying these things because we are subject to people who are around us that are more knowledgeable than us, or that speak like they're more knowledgeable than us, or they influence in certain ways because they have a title in front of or behind their name. I have a couple of academic titles which allows me to have certain amount of success with agricultural people. I can't speak to a whole bunch of other issues. Talking to Mark this morning, just setting up the sound system. Uh, I don't know enough about electronics to get this mic to work correctly. There are very knowledgeable people, but they need to, you, you need to understand who is knowledgeable in the subject that you're talking about. And this is extraordinarily important when we look at our spiritual life. So that's what Jesus is telling here on part four. Jesus is telling them what to watch out for. So if you'll turn to me, turn with me in Matthew 7, verses 15 to 20, that's our actual verses for today. Okay. Beware of false teachers, excuse me, false prophets or teachers who come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Verse 16. 
You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruit. As at least some of my friends here know, I'm a horticulturist. I know a little bit about growing, particularly vegetables, and somewhat about tree crops. What this is saying is you need to be aware of pseudo or false prophets slash teachers. What does that mean? That means that there are some people who are falsely telling you things about a subject that they are being representative, are representing that they don't know fully the truth about it. So, who are those people? We're going to get to that when we get to 2 Peter. Most commentaries seem to refer to this false prophet as being false prophets or teachers. Why? Because we don't believe, you can look it up in our uh, Trinity bylaws on what we do believe, if you don't know, but we believe that prophecy has stopped. And you can go to Revelations chapter 22 to review that, 22 verses 18 and 19. Don't add anything to this. If it's not in there, it's probably not true. Now we can debate those kind of things a little bit later. We can talk about interpretation and all that. But prophecy is not something that we are privileged to receive directly from God. Teaching God's word takes full understanding or interpretation that may come as a result of our having the Holy Spirit in our lives and, and getting a message, if you will, by interpreting verses that are in the book. So that's the way I take this particular topic is these false prophets are false to our church today and now are false teachers. And we have many examples of those in our lives. Uh, excuse me. Not necessarily in our personal lives, but in the world around us. And this is another thing I'm not going to do today. I'm not going to go through and list all the false prophets, false teachers that are in the Christian church today. That would take most of the sermon, no. Uh, I just don't, I don't believe that in an audience of this nature that that's the appropriate thing for me to do. Okay. It says that they will be wearing sheep's clothing. Uh, that's not literal, okay? I can imagine somebody coming into a synagogue having on a bunch of wool that they took off of a sheep. That's not, obviously it's a metaphor. They were trying to say, they're gonna look like you. Now, I, when I was reading through this, I thought, okay, what do, what do these guys look like? Well, I can recall back when I became a believer some 50 years ago, that most of the time, a preacher up front, you're in a Baptist church, you wore a suit, tie, white shirt. I think that was standard. 
If you're in a Methodist church, you wore a robe. If you're in a Catholic church, you wore their paraphernalia. Everybody, you could tell who the pastor was, and they didn't look anything like the sheep because nobody in the audience was wearing that kind of, well, the suits in the Baptist church, yeah, I guess that does fit. Today, it's the dress-down look. Pastors usually look like the rest of the congregation. When you walk into the room, you can't tell them necessarily from a congregant. So the principle here is that Jesus is telling them that these people are going to look just like you, going to sit next to you in the pew, and you won't recognize them. But inwardly, they are ravenous wolves. And you know what happens if you put a few sheep in a fenced yard and you let a wolf go. What's going to happen? Bad news for the little sheep. So he's trying to make a point, and he uses these agricultural examples because that fit very well in the society that they were in. Second analogy that he uses is about a tree. He says a Healthy tree bears healthy fruit. A diseased tree does not bear healthy fruit. I can give you all kinds of examples. Well, but, you know, and this kind of thing. But here's an example from the Yakima Valley. They had a disease over there called little cherry. So it's a virus. Kind of like COVID. The virus that attacks the tree. And it makes the tree produce very small tasteless fruit. The only way to get rid of the disease is to cut the tree down and burn it. So, the analogy fits what Jesus is talking about here in that this tree is producing fruit that's not good, perhaps tasteless. There's a second disease that was found in Florida it was a bacterial disease in 2019. It caused fruit to just fall off the tree. They never ripened. And those that were big enough to get to a certain stage just fell off the tree. 5,000 out of 7,000 orange growers in the state quit because of the disease. Ruined orchardists, citrus groves, in Florida. These are dramatic pictures of what happens when you have disease in an agricultural setting and what the application is, what is this disease of false teaching do to a church? Okay, now we're going to turn to 2 Peter, because Peter gives a little more description of how to recognize these people. What is it that we look for. Okay, 2 Peter chapter 2. We're going to read two passages. First one is verses 1 to 3. So 2 Peter chapter 2. But false prophets also rose among you, among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies even denying the master who brought them, bringing upon themselves self-swift destruction. 
and many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemy. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. So this is what a false teacher might do. They're going to say that God has spoken directly to them. That would be a false prophet. Okay, so remember back what I told you about different prophets and the teacher. So they're going to say, God spoke to me. Have you ever heard stories about people on TV or uh, elsewhere saying, God has spoken to me today? Now, that doesn't mean that God doesn't give you intuition. doesn't mean that by studying God's word, you have all this built up understanding of what God does in your life and that you feel like this is what God wants you to do. You don't go say, God told me that if you pray this prayer, you're going to be wealthy and you'll win the lottery tomorrow. So there are people in our world who are preaching heresy because they said, God told me that's what I should do. So these people are like that tree with virus. They will be cut down, burned, thrown into hell. So Jesus provided really descriptive pictures for the disciples so they would understand what he's talking about. So how do you tell, how do you, how do we tell that someone is a false teacher? Ask a few basic questions. Number one test is do they talk about Jesus? Do they even mention Jesus Christ? I can guarantee you there are some people on TV who you will struggle to find them mention Jesus. If they mention Jesus, do they mention that he was the Messiah? And explain what that means. Did he come to restore us to God by his actions on the cross? Uh, we, don't, we want to avoid that issue. That, that makes the Jews mad because we accuse them of killing Christ. All kinds of correctness that comes into that. And do we allow him, Jesus, to be a Lord of our life? So these are questions that you need to ask if someone is up here, me, ask that question to me. Is Jesus Christ the Messiah? Did he come to save us? And do we allow him to be Lord of our life? As we talk about fruit, lots of times, is there fruit in my life that exemplifies the fact that I allow Jesus to be Lord of my life? If you don't see fruit, in my life, what are the fruit of the Spirit? Love. Okay. If you don't see those kind of things in my life, doesn't mean I always do it. Doesn't mean I got the whole list done. But if you don't see evidence of those fruits in my life, then you got to go back and ask the question, is Bill really a believer? Is he allowing Jesus to control his life. 
Then he talks about teaching sensuality. Verse 2. What is sensuality? Sexual perversion. I'm glad we don't have any of that in our world these days. So what does a false teacher say about those things compared to your knowledge and understanding of biblical truth? I'm not going to go through that list. That's another one of those long lists that uh, just is frustrating and hard to watch. But everywhere you turn on TV, whether it's a commercial, an advertisement for a show, a movie that you thought everybody was enjoying and you go to it and you say, "Eh, I've been here long enough, that three minutes was too much for me, I'm going home. All these streaming services, you can get streaming of all kinds of perverted things. What do you do when one comes on? And following that in in verse 2, because of this, whatever these false teachers are saying, the way of truth is maligned. So if a false teacher is preaching certain things, people are going to start having divergent opinions. Well, it's okay to do this. No, it's not okay to do this. So you've got these camps. Another political thing I don't want to get into. We have political camps very dramatically in this country right now. It's a shame that democracy is so drastically affected by people's opinions. We all need to have opinions. We need to be smart enough to understand things, but we need to be able to still be brothers and sisters. So when these camps get at odds, talking about biblical truth, then the whole system I'm not going to say falls apart. The whole system becomes controversial and drives people away to the extent that what he says here is that even deny the the master, deny Jesus Christ. So when the world sees us arguing over things, perhaps rightly so about a false teacher, but when the world sees us arguing about things, probably more likely trivia than true doctrine, stick to doctrine. When the world sees us arguing about things that just don't seem that important, they say, well, I don't have anything to do with that. This Christianity stuff's just a bunch of arguing people sitting in the pews. Exploitation, still in verse three. A false teacher will exploit I remember, I will use the name, Oral Roberts. Oral Roberts said something about, I think God wanted him to build this magnificent campus and do all these kind of wonderful things and said, just please send me money. People will say that they're doing God's work and just need your money. I've even seen experiences where people will ask for money to be a missionary, and it turns out that they didn't really have their life together, and they went to the mission field and ended up in a divorce. 
check out people who are preaching to you or at you. Find out whether or not these people really have the right credentials, the right lifestyle, but they have fruit in their lives that will benefit the gospel going forward. How am I doing on time? I'm doing pretty good on time. Okay, 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 17 to 19. Jesus, master teacher. How can you have a double master teacher? I mean, this has got to be PhD to teacher Jesus. He had so much wisdom, knowledge. The examples he used were just amazing. Peter reports it here in 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 17 to 19. Talking about the false teachers again. These are waterless springs and mists driven by a storm. For them the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. Okay, we'll go through a couple of these things. Waterless springs and mists driven by a storm. Anybody here live in a desert where you had an oasis? Okay. If you come upon an oasis, you know there's going to be resources there for you to live on. Correct? I hear that nod in the back of the room. What happens when you go to that oasis? There's some palm trees or whatever around it, but the well is dry. Hmm. Would you move on to the next oasis? <laughs> or die of thirst? Okay. A dry well and oasis is not a good thing. And he's, he's talking about that here. Peter is saying, waterless springs. There's nothing there. It may look good. In this case, it may sound good. Ravenous wolves, nothing for you. He says that the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved for them. That's analogous to the trees being cut down and burned. He also says they're mist driven by a storm. I had a privilege of going to Peru for a week or so a few years back uh, to visit some agriculturists who were anyway, uh, wanting me to come visit them. I'd never been to Lima, Peru before. Monster desert. Many of you probably know about the desert down there in that area. Annual rainfall, 0.39 inches. 0.39 inches. For those who are mathematically short, that's less than a half an inch of rain a year compared to our 16 to 18 inches or so in this area. Things are dry. There was not a blade of grass. We were driving along the highway, and I mean, it is sand. Not a blade of grass until you get down into the river valleys where they could actually grow something. Each morning, I'd get up, and I'd look out, and I'd say, 
man, it looks like it's going to rain. So I told my host, I said, looks like it's going to rain today. He said, no, it never rains here. Never. It's a mist. It's a myth. It's a... It's not real. It's not going to rain, Bill. Oh, okay. Every day. I can't imagine being a farmer in that area, who, people I was visiting, and you wake up and it looks like a mist. It's going to rain. And you go to bed that night and say, it didn't rain again today. That's what these people are like. They're like this mist that the wind comes in and blows it away. It's gone. They're gone. Their life expectancy is short. What they say is wrong, so they eventually get caught. They get thrown out. I have experience with that somewhat personally secondhand from an individual over on the coast who was preaching some pretty good stuff, but his ministry style was terrible. Terrible. Not biblical, but just terrible. He was thrown out. Unfortunate. A church of five, six, eight, ten thousand people were now without their leader. Fortunately, there were a lot of good men, elders in the church, who picked up at least many of the pieces and did the work that God wanted to be done. But this is what happens when you're not telling the truth. I liked one of the songs you sang this morning, Carrie, that was uh, pertinent to the this verse, verse 19 in chapter 2. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. We are free because of... We are free because of what Jesus did for us, because of Christ. What these guys teach you are... Just do whatever you want. You're free. Hmm. I think we call that license. Okay. So you're going to do whatever you want to do. Whether it has to do with some specific thing in your life that you like to do, that has control over you, it could be a sinful thing. Be not drunk, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Some people have alcohol problems. Some people have problems with sexual desires. Some people have problems with wanting too much of something they really don't need. That's slavery. That's having that thing have control over you. It's not freedom. It may be freedom based on what Pastor told us last week, choosing the wrong gate. The wrong gate, narrow, is the gate we should open. Wide is that that leads to destruction. Wide is the gate. It is permissive. We call it liberalism. Call it whatever you want. It's just this thing. You're free to do what you want. Because Christ died for you, therefore, you don't have to do any of this or that or the other thing. Or you are free to do these things that the Bible says you shouldn't. <laughs> Verse 20. There, there's some things when I read them in Scripture, I say, oh, I don't want to go there. Um, okay. 
For if, after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, okay, now what is, what is he talking about here? We're talking about believers, someone who says, I believe in Jesus Christ, but he died for me, and he's given me freedom. After they have escaped this defilement of the world through the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. So you go back to a place where you allow something to have control over your life. The last state, this freedom that has allowed you to go do those things that you know you shouldn't be doing, has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. And then the last statements that are kind of gross. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit, and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. What a picture. I've seen dogs do that. I'm not a pig farmer, but I know a little bit about pigs. But I can imagine a young person in FFA grooming this pig for the fair, getting it all tied up and pink ribbon in its, around its neck or whatever, and turns around to go in the house to get a lemonade and come back out, and where is the pig? In the mud. That's just the picture I've got. The pig really didn't believe it was a show pig. They just knew that this young lady had taken care of it, got it all cleaned up, and I just like to look some mud, so I'm going to go get in the mud. And that's anthropomorphic description, perhaps, but uh, that's the way it could be. How many of you have had friends who said they believed in Jesus Christ 10 years ago, 20 years ago, but when you go see them today, they've forgotten their way? They've forgotten what they had committed to. Does it happen? Of course. I've seen it happen. We know it happens. I don't think we should necessarily feel guilty. We should just feel sorrowful. We should mourn for their loss. Of not just, they may still have their salvation, but mourn for them that they don't have the life they could have had if they'd have stuck to their commitment. So, conclusions. We need to understand that there are people who teach false doctrine in churches. We are fortunate that we have pastors in this church that are committed to the word, study the word, and bring it to us faithfully. I've got to admit, there are some times that I'm confused by statements made by the pastors. And I'll go talk to them. I didn't understand this, or I understood this differently, would you explain it? And they're very willing to do so. Those are not false teachers. Those may, they may be teaching something that you learned a long time ago that wasn't true. Not because someone is a false teacher necessarily, but because they were inadequately prepared or had, just hadn't 
understood it. Logan is very good uh, in his linguistic studies and is able to go to the original languages to bring us messages that are the intent of what the scripture tells us. So it's very helpful to have a man of his integrity and his knowledge bring us messages. It's only, you're only able to tell if a person is a false teacher or not if you know scripture well enough to recognize that something's not quite right. So, how do we do that? Increase your own understanding. Increase your own understanding through personal study. Attending church regularly. Join a growth group. Growth groups are great places to question each other's beliefs. To say, did you really mean to say that? In a non-offensive way. I'll say that again. In a non-offensive way, tell your brother or sister that I don't understand it that way. Join a Bible study. Lots of Bible studies available. Doesn't matter what your age is, there's something for you. And read commentaries, read books that are from reliable sources. If you need to know reliable sources, you can look out at the bookshelf in the hallway. Uh, there's some very good books out there. Pastor Logan reads constantly. Uh, I read a fair amount, but ask some of the elders or the pastors for recommendations on a particular subject that you're interested in. Pray. Pray and allow the Holy Spirit to direct you. Say, I don't understand this. The number of things that I said I don't fully understand in preparation for this presentation. I learn a lot. I've always told my students when I used to teach at the university, I learned an awful lot about stuff that I can only teach you part of. The teacher should know, <laughs> the teacher usually knows much more than what they can possibly present in a short time period. So let me leave this verse with you. Romans 12, chapter 2. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for those who are here today that you brought them here for a specific purpose. If there are issues in people's lives that they need to resolve with you, I pray that they will join in a prayer that will rectify that situation between them and you. Or if there's issues that they need to talk to someone about counseling, please have them have the courage to ask. Thankful for those who bring us music. Thankful for those who have done the work behind the scenes and make this possible. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.